This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Challenge yourself. Okay, I'm going to save $50 this month. Okay, next month, I'm going to save 75. Month after, I'm going to save 100. Like, There's so many awesome things that you can do psychologically to keep yourself moving through your financial journey and to keep yourself motivated in a way that makes sense for you. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about achieving your first six figures. Yes, your salary, your net worth, your small business revenue, all things 100K. To help us achieve this big milestone, I've invited Tori Dunlap on the show today. Tori is a millennial money and career expert. Her career started with landing a digital marketing contract worth tens of thousands of dollars and a full-time position as the head of marketing for a global company, all before she turned 22. On track to save $100,000 by 25, Tori founded her first 100K to give women actionable resources to get their first six figures as well. Welcome to the show, Tori. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad to have you here, Tori. So, Tori, you are almost in your mid-20s, and you are nearly at $100,000 in your life. Where did that drive come from for you? Well, I had a really great financial education when I was growing up. So that is definitely a rare thing to have parents who not only exemplified what it meant to be really good with money, but, you know, led by example. So they not only talked about being good with money, but they showed me. So I saw my dad negotiate the cable bill almost every month. I saw my mom balance the checkbook on 1998 Quicken, which they still use, by the way, uh, doing it, you know, the same time twice a month, every month. And so I really saw them lead by example. And then I also had a really cool opportunity, which I, I started my first business when I was nine. Um, so I owned 15 vending machines by the time I graduated high school. These are the kind of, you put a quarter in, you get a handful of candy out vending machines. So I ran that business for 10, 11 years, and then later sold it to a 10-year-old who also happens to be named Tori, because that's how this crazy world works. So I was not only learning you know, regular personal finance from my parents, but they gave me this awesome gift of starting my first business as a young person. So I understood profit and loss statements. I learned how to save money. I learned how to pitch myself. I had my first checking and savings account when I was nine years old. I would go into Costco and write my check for product and hand it to the, you know, the attendant at Costco. And And so when I graduated college, I knew the business thing was rare. I knew that wasn't normal, but I thought, oh, everybody knows to not overspend on credit cards. Everybody knows to negotiate your bills. And I realized very quickly that that was not the case. And I was the friend all my friends were coming to for money, advice and direction. And when I realized that a lot of intentional choices, along with a lot of privilege I had, was going to be able to get me possibly to 100K by at least the end of my 25th year, I was like, why not do it? So I figured when I was 22, probably 23, I'm 24 now. So probably a year, a year and a half ago, I realized, oh, this is in sight. I might be able to do this if I, you know, grind it out a little bit. So yeah, I, I'm just inspired 
and was so thankful for my parents giving me a really great foundation. And I feel like I have a responsibility now to not only you know, make smart money choices for myself, but to pass along that knowledge to other women. Women on average are not given the same financial guidance and advice that men are. Um, we invest less or not at all. We wait longer. So we know about the pay gap. We know about that, but we don't talk as much about opportunity gaps and wealth gaps and investing gaps. So we take already less money because we're making 78 cents, sometimes less to a man's dollar. We're either waiting to invest it or we're not investing it at all. So we're not making that already less money work for us. And then we're living on average seven years longer than men are. So I wake up with this fire in my belly to be able to pass along this financial knowledge about how to get your first 100K to women all over the country. What an incredible mission and uh, what an incredible way to honor what your parents did for you. It's, that's awesome that you're giving back in this way. So let's, let's get specific though, Tori. When you talk about hitting your first 100K, what does that mean? Yeah. So for a hundred K for me is a hundred K saved. And that includes cash, you know, money in a bank account. It also includes investments. Um, I purposely with her first hundred K made it vague, uh, with the intent that, okay, maybe a teacher might not be able to make a hundred K. She might not have a hundred K salary, but she can save a hundred K. Uh, or she can have a hundred K net worth, or she can pay off a hundred K in debt. So I purposely made a hundred K vague. Um, for me personally, it's a hundred K saved by the end of my 25th year. Um, as long as I do it the day before my 26th birthday, I'm saying it counts. Um, so most of that money will be in retirement accounts or a non-invest, or excuse me, a non-retirement investment account. And then I'll have the kind of classic three to six months living expenses in a liquid account for emergencies. Well, I love that mission, Tori. I think it's really cool. Let's talk about your money and career coaching business. So how did you decide to start that? Yeah, I think what I realized is, I mean, I didn't study finance in college. <laughs> I am an organizational communication major, which is like a marketing degree with less math. And then I also double majored in theater. So I, I was not studying finance. This was, I didn't even realize it was a passion of mine until I left college. And until, uh, a lot of people, a lot of the rush people get around spending money, I get that around saving money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, again, I was the friend all of my female friends came to and they were like, I don't know what a Roth IRA is. Can we talk about it? Or um, I know I should be negotiating my next job. You know, I know I should be negotiating my next salary, but I have no idea how to get started or what to say. And I realized when I was having these conversations with women, there was something happening inside my body. Like I got this energy that is so hard to describe. And I feel this every time I work with coaching clients, every time I'm up on stage, I'm, I'm feeling it speaking with you right now, just like this passion to get women money and to get women to keep money. Having a financial education is a woman's best form of protest. Uh, and having funds means having freedom. So having money to make decisions about how you want your life to go is so powerful. So I, through my own experience, realized, you know, the importance of having a good financial education. And I wanted to pass that on. And it ended up just kind of growing organically. I think I did a really great job of growing a community first before selling. And that is something I didn't even mean to do. But I really didn't sell a product or start 
you know, coaching or, um, you know, getting paid to speak for probably two, two and a half years. Um, and I, you know, I was trying and I was frustrated at the time that I was like, why isn't this working? But what I realized was I needed to build the community first, build, you know, authenticity and credibility and have people trust me and understand that, you know, I, I was someone they could come to. And then when I started launching products or working with people in, you know, a coaching scenario, I I found the floodgates just opened and there were so many women who wanted to come work with me. So from a business standpoint, that was something I think that was really smart. I did, uh, not even, not even intentionally, it just kind of happened of building the community, building trust and then selling. So serving before selling. Um, so that was something that, that went really well. I also have a nine to five job that happens to be in the financial tech space. And you've had Dave on the show before I work for a company called tomorrow. And, um, I made a really intentional decision last year that I was not only going to find a company that I really loved with a mission that I, I loved, but, um, was hopefully in the personal finance space so I could add value to them and vice versa. So, um, I think that was a really great decision for me of just feeling even more seeped in the personal finance realm of understanding people's wants and needs. Um, and, yeah, being as much of an expert as I could in my field. Well, I love it. Let's give some of that expert advice today. So let's talk salary, Tori. Where is the best place for women and men to start if they want to grow their salary at work? So I think with salary, it's tricky because it depends on your job. It depends on your skills. It depends on where you live. But these are all things that can be used to your advantage. So let's say a hypothetical scenario, you know you're being underpaid at your job and you're ready to go in and ask for a raise. I actually guide clients through a specific script that I use that I've used to either um, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20% more than, than what I was making before. So the key is to first do your research. You need to figure out, okay, what is someone like, let's say for me, okay, I'm a digital marketing manager with, I don't know, four years of experience living in Seattle. Um, and I have, you know, two bachelor's degrees and I have, you know, I bring this unique skill set. So once you've done your research around that and you can figure out, okay, what is my market rate? And you'll get, you know, a couple different numbers. You know, it's very rarely, it's very rarely going to say like, $82,500 every single time, but you can kind of take an average or figure out, okay, what, what does that look like? Also ask other people in your field. If you have trusted colleagues, either at your job that you feel okay talking with that, you know, is not going to negatively affect you or, you know, colleagues outside that you can say, Hey, what would you pay for a job, you know, with necessary skills, X, Y, and Z. So you can get a great understanding of what the kind of market salary is using tools like Glassdoor and Payscale, but also just having conversations with people. So first, do your research. The second thing is if you're asking for a raise, chances are you've been there six months, a year, some sort of milestone. Um, Maybe this is a conversation that you know you're going to have around salary. Maybe you're bringing it up organically, which is more daunting. But the best thing you can do is look at everything you've done for the past period of time that relates to your original job description that you were hired on. So I literally print out my job description. I highlight stories or, you know, specific metrics, percentages that I've grown and, you know, really killed my job in, in everything that they hired me on to do originally. So I literally print that out, have a plan around that. And then I make a second sheet, which is a bulleted list of every project I've implemented in addition or every task I've taken on that was not in my original job description, basically everything I've gone above and beyond at. So you can see, okay, you, you know, I not only knocked it out of the park for what you hired me to do, I'm also bringing value in all these other ways. So that's step two. Step three is to understand that, um, 
it's going to be scary. <laughs> like it's never going to be easy. I recently had my annual review at work and I coach negotiation and I was a wreck all day. Like I was sweating. I was terrified. So understand that the more prep you can do, the more comfortable you'll feel. So you don't go in and like your mind doesn't draw a blank trying to figure out what you're going to say or do next. But also understand that that nervous energy can be used as excitement rather than panic or anxiety. As far as a script, there's probably, I call it a gratitude sandwich. And so you can follow this script very closely. First, offer gratitude. I'm so thankful to work here. I'm so thankful to work under your leadership. I really love the mission of the company. I am excited to continue to grow here. The meat of the sandwich is all of that that we just did. The market research, the job description, as well as anything you've done in addition. Then you're going to drop a number. You're going to give a range that's higher than what you actually want to make. Because if you want to be making 85 and you ask for 85 and you're at 70, you're going to be put at 77 or 75 as opposed to where you know you need to be. So ask for 90 to 92 or 90 to 95 because negotiations are collaborations. You're going to get to a number in the middle that makes sense for you. And then you're going to end it in gratitude. You're going to say, I know there's a number we can collaboratively work on together. I you know, am excited to continue learning and growing here. And I feel like in order for me to do that, um, you know, I want to be compensated fairly. I'm so thankful for this job. So thankful to continue growing, you know, all of that fun stuff. So gratitude sandwich with the meat in the middle. The negotiation piece. I think that's great. I think it's great advice, but you know, sometimes it can be intimidating for people, right? But maybe people could start negotiating in life. Like the next time you have a contractor come over to the house to fix something, you negotiate the price with them for practice, right? Yeah. And I love that, Andy. I actually have a script on my website that I use to negotiate with like customer service representatives. So I literally call my car insurance company twice a year. I actually just called them and was like, Hey, is there anything you can do for me? I love being a blank member. Uh, and I really don't want to leave. What can you do for me? And again, I saw my dad do this all the time. My dad is so good at negotiating. So like you said, I mean, negotiation's a muscle. The more you do it, the more comfortable you feel. Again, I do it. I'm still terrified of it. It's not going to stop being scary. But like we go, we negotiate in our daily lives all the time. If your partner wants Mexican food and you ate Mexican food for lunch, you're like, hey, I, I love that you want to do that. Let's maybe go get some Thai food or let's do that. Like that's a negotiation, right? So there's negotiations that happen every day. And again, negotiations are collaborations. They're not conflicts. We, we think of negotiations as this you know, negative, combative thing that you have to go in there and like fight to the death, gladiator style. And, and if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Like both parties should leave the negotiation feeling like, okay, I got something that I wanted. I maybe gave up a little bit, but I got something that I wanted. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. 
I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's get back to the show. Let's talk about network. Tell everybody what net worth is and why it's important. Yeah, so net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. Your assets is basically any savings or like a house you have or a car you have, basically anything that's of value. Your liabilities is debt, basically. So your credit card debt, your student loan debt, uh, a car loan, um, all of the things that um, you know you want to eventually get rid of, right? Yep. So the goal is to have a positive net worth for many Americans. For most Americans, I think that's just not the reality right now. So one of the things you can do is start tracking your net worth. Personal capital. I know Andy's a big fan of personal capital. I love that tool. Um, That's something I check because I'm obsessive, but I check it every day. Uh, I probably don't recommend you check it every day, but it's just a great um, check-in with, you know, what is my financial picture? Where am I at? I work with a lot of clients who have no idea what their numbers are because of what I like to call the ostrich effect, which is burying your head in the sand, not acknowledging it because you're too scared to look at your financial life and you're too scared to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So the first step is to just really say, okay, what is the lay of the land here? Because you can't start making really great choices or start shifting those numbers until you know what they are. So that's the first thing is to just kind of get honest with yourself. I mean, if you have to make yourself a lovely cocoon with a glass of wine, like that's what I recommend all my clients do of like, make yourself super comfortable, put a face mask on, that's your thing. But, uh, understand that you have to, you have to kind of grin it and bear it potentially. And sometimes it's might not be as bad as you think it is. So at least looking at those numbers is your first step. The second step is to start tracking it, figuring out, okay, if I spend even 20 less dollars a month and I put it to the principle of a loan payment, how many less months am I going to be in debt? 
Like that's a great way to look at it of, okay, if I cut back and again, it doesn't have to be this like lump sum of money. You don't have to contribute. Okay. I need to save $4,000 and put that towards my debt. Like incrementally is so important, not only for your financial life, because it's going to take you a while to get to that 4,000 probably or 5,000, whatever that big number looks like. But psychologically, it's a lot easier to keep going once you see progress. So like I literally talked to a friend yesterday who has, um, she has debt on three different credit cards and there's one credit card that she has, uh, you know, that's higher interest. And so she's like, okay, I'll put $60 at that credit card and I'll put 20 at the other two places. And I go, that's great. I would suggest putting $100 instead of 60, 20, 20 onto that one piece of debt. First of all, it's costing you the most money. Second of all, it's going to be a lot easier to see progress when that debt starts you know, going down more exponentially than when these three start kind of going down at a slower pace. So understand that you can do it in incremental steps. Um, but yeah, just start tracking it, get honest with your numbers and understand that you can, you can do this. It may take you a while, but get a plan together and understand that you can, you can kind of increase your savings or your contribution as you go. It doesn't have to be this huge lump sum of money. What assets are you working with right now to increase your net worth, Tori? Yeah. So I don't have a 401k through work. Um, so I think that's the reality for a lot of people of, okay, you hear about a 401k a lot, but if you don't have that option, there's other retirement accounts out there. So when I did have a 401k for a previous job, I had a 401k, I had a Roth IRA. I'm younger. That was probably a smarter decision for me personally. And then, um, I also have a SEP IRA because I have my business outside of my nine to five. So a lot of people don't realize that you can have multiple retirement accounts, just like you can have multiple savings accounts that, you know, achieve different purposes. So right now with no 401k, I have a Roth IRA, I have a SEP IRA, and then I have a non-retirement investment account. All of those for me are through TD Ameritrade, who I just love. That's not sponsored or anything. I just love their platform. Um, and a lot of my investments for my kind of big hundred K are going to be in those three areas because my money's working for me harder there. Um, outside of that in my emergency fund that is going in a high yield savings account that is specifically a different bank than my normal day to day, you know, checking account for a couple different reasons. One, I'm getting way more interest on that. I'm getting upwards of 2%. Uh, there's one account that has like 2.45, which is awesome. So I'm funneling all of my money for emergency fund there. And it's also at a different bank. So I'm not tempted to take money out of that account and move it to my checking account so I can go blow it on something. So, um, yeah, the majority of my money will be in investments for that hundred K. Um, and the rest of it is in a high yield savings account, which is still working for me, but I need to keep that liquid should something happen. You mentioned the IRA, Tori, and you're in your 20s. There's someone listening right now who's also in their 20s or, or even their 30s, and they're thinking, you know, it's hard for me to save for my retirement because I know I can't touch that stuff for another 30 or 40 years. How do you motivate yourself to save for the future when you know it's so far away, Tori? I honestly think of 65-year-old Tori. She's the cutest little thing. She's walking around in her walker. She's got her handbag she loves. Like, she's just living her life. And I think of that. And I think of saving for future me. So I, I, I do this a lot with clients. Like, you know, she said, a lot of people are like, I'm either a spender or a saver. And for, you know, quote-unquote spenders, um, what I say to them is I go, you're going to spend this money. Like pretty much all of the money you save, you're eventually going to spend it on something. 
right? It just may be in 30 years. And then 65-year-old you who's living it up in Florida or Arizona or wherever she's at gets to spend all of this money that you work so hard for. So I think it, I think of it psychologically as investing for future me. I also, again, am one of those weird people who is like, I just love, I love saving money. Like I, I get the same sort of rush. A lot of people get at spending money and saving money. So it's kind of fun if you can gamify it and you can say, it's like a personal challenge for you, right? The hundred K no one imposed that goal on me. I just said, Oh, I think I can do this. Let's see if I can do it. And if I don't do it, you know, if, if it's 26 or 27, should something happen? Like that's not going to be the end of the world, but it's this fun game I can play with myself. Like challenge yourself. Okay. I'm going to save $50 this month. Okay, next month I'm gonna save 75. Month after I'm gonna save 100. Like, there's so many awesome things that you can do psychologically to keep yourself moving through your financial journey and to keep yourself motivated in a way that makes sense for you. I love it. It's inspiring. Inspiring words, Tori. Thank you. So let's talk about the small business side of things. You're, you're a full-time employee and you're doing a small business. How do you prioritize your time to be successful in both areas? It's hard. <laughs> That's the first thing. It's hard. I think too many people glamorize the side hustle. There's too many people who are like, hustle harder and do this and live the life of your dreams. And I'm all for all of those things. But very rarely does that advice just tell you it's not going to be easy. Like, it's hard. Um, The first thing I do is take care of myself. Truly. I am the first person, you know, I'm in bed. I'm the first person to tell you like sleep is important. I get seven to eight hours of sleep every night, nine if I can swing it. But like sleep is so important. If I don't take care of myself, none of the rest of it gets done. So I'm making sure I'm eating sometimes not the healthiest things, but at least I'm putting food in my body. I'm trying to work out. There's, you know, there's, things I know I need to do to be my best self and show up energized as opposed to depleting myself and then wondering why I'm not able to get my stuff done. So the first thing I think is prioritizing myself. I am my product. I am, I am what's going out there and, you know, closing deals and doing work at my nine to five and all these sorts of things. So if I don't take care of myself, none of that happens. So that's the first thing. The second thing is understanding that energy is going to ebb and flow. Oh, this is one thing I had to learn the hard way. So there were a lot of times where I told myself, okay, you are going to be in bed by 1030 tonight. And sometimes I would get this kick of energy at 1015 and I'd go, no, you need to go to bed. But the problem with doing that is I don't know when that energy is going to come back. So what I do instead is I say, okay, if I have energy at 1015, I'm going to work. And I'm going to do that. And maybe that means like not getting up at 6 a.m. the next morning. Maybe that means sleeping in. But there's going to be times when you have scheduled time for work that you're like, I am so tired. I'm so depleted. I just need to sit on the couch and watch Netflix or, you know, go outside or whatever that looks like. So I think rather than setting scheduled time of like, okay, it's non-negotiable. I work from six to nine every night when I get home from my nine to five job on my business. For some people that works because of the structure. For me, my life is so scattered. One night I'll have an event. One night I'll see a friend who's in town. Um, you know, there's so many things that happen and my energy will ebb and flow. So I've learned for me that I need to take advantage of that energy when it happens rather than thinking to myself like, Oh, you, you set a schedule, like you made a commitment to this. So that works for me rather than being so stringent around my time. So I would say those are the two big things. I mean, balance is hard. It's, it's not easy. And 
And so I really try uh, on a lot of my social platforms too, because I get that question a lot. Like, how do you balance a nine to five that's demanding with, you know, a business that's taking off? And it's the, the short answer is it's not easy, but I find that it actually gives me more energy. I went through a period of unemployment. Um, oh gosh, about a year ago around this time, it was early 2018. And I thought to myself, yay, I'll have all this time to work on my business. And I was not motivated at all. Mm. And I didn't know why. And I think it was because I needed this drive in my nine to five to energize me to go and work on my own business too. Yes, there's definitely a lot of non-monetary benefits to the side hustle. You know, you're feeling like you're contributing somewhere that brings you pride. And it sounds like you're doing that right now. So, Tori, there's someone listening who's thinking, I might enjoy the non-monetary and monetary benefits of a side hustle, but they aren't sure where to start. What advice would you have for them today? I would say there's kind of two, two side hustles, really. Like you said, there's one where you're like, my goal is to make money. And the second is like, I just want a project outside of work. If it makes me money, great. If it doesn't, so what? So there's a lot of people I know who are the latter, who uh, maybe it's crafty or more creative and they just need an outlet. Um, and that hustle is kind of like more of a passion project than going and you know getting money. If somehow you can make one and two work for you, perfect. For me, that ended up being the case is, uh, my side hustle happens to make me money. And I also really, really love it and find that it fuels me in a really unique way. So as far as getting started, start analyzing what skills you have. Like for me, I work in social media in my nine to five, I work in marketing. So naturally my first side hustle was doing contract work. So in addition to my nine to five, I'd find, you know, contractors who needed me to run their social media or establish social media strategy or whatever that looked like. So that was a natural extension of what I did in my nine to five. Again, for some people, they're like, my nine to five is my nine to five. I don't want to do, I don't know, whatever this is, data entry, sales, accounting, whatever that is beyond the eight hours I have to do it normally. So find what skills you have that are, you know, not typical to your job. Maybe that's painting. Maybe that's, um, maybe you really love cheese. There was like this woman I talked to one time at a, at a conference I was speaking at and she's like, my biggest passion is cheese. And I want to figure out how I can monetize that. And that's perfect because there's so many niches out there. Somebody's looking for a cheese blog. Like somebody's looking to find like what the best kind of cheese is to pair with this wine and that like one cheese in France that you've never heard of. Right. And so her biggest passion was cheese. And so, you know, there, there's, there's things out there that you can always monetize, even if they seem ludicrous to you. I promise you that there's at least a hundred people out there somewhere who have the same passion that you do. So figuring out what your skills are, what brings you joy. And then, um, I think one of the smartest things I did, if your motivation is to sell it is to not sell too early, like understand it's going to take a while. It's going to be, um, the trust building that has to happen does take a while. Um, and especially if you want to do it in a non-expensive way, there's a lot of people who run businesses where they throw a bunch of money at Facebook ads and they make money off of it, but that costs you a lot of money and it costs you a lot of time too. So the organic thing takes longer. It may not make you as much money in the first, you know, maybe year for me, it was two, but realize that those, when you get those people and when you get those customers, they will be yours for life. They'll bleed for you. They'll follow you anywhere because you've built that trust and you've served them first. So 
yeah, largely there's kind of two, two kinds of side hustles, the passion project. And then the side hustle of like, I want to make money. If you can somehow merge those two awesome, but understand that you have so many skills that you don't even realize that you can either monetize or, you know, grow in a way that brings you a lot of, you know, happiness and joy and start exploring what that means for you. So, understand that there is going to be some balance, understand that more side, some side hustles are going to be more demanding than others. Um, so get a, get a understanding of what time you have available as well. And then understand what your motivations are. Again, if it's to make money, understand it's to make money. Um, and then if it's just, no, I just want to do it for fun. That's totally okay too. I like your barometer for making sure you're serving your audience first. I think that's honorable and a great way to run any business. So Tori, as a young father, I'm really inspired by what your parents did for you as a young child. So if you had to look back on that childhood, do you have a specific memory that you're most thankful for? I don't know if there's a specific memory, but I mean, I'm an only child. I'm super close to my parents. I speak to them every day still. Um, and I think, I think leading by example was so important. I was talking with a woman the other day who, um, she, she's a client of mine and she was talking about, okay, my mom talked the talk, but she didn't walk the walk. So she said, okay, don't overspend on credit cards or, um, you know, make sure you're putting away money for savings, but then she wouldn't actually do it. And so I was actually listening to an interview. Do you know Brene Brown, um, her work? Oh, she's incredible. So she's a vulnerability researcher. And so she's, I'll send you a bunch of stuff, but she's incredible. And she talked about, um, with her own children, she, um, her daughter went out to school with this side ponytail, I guess, and loved the side ponytail and came home and the side ponytail was gone. And so Brene asked her like, what, you know, what happened to the side ponytail? And she said, Oh, my friends kind of, you know, gave me crap about it. They were teasing me about it. So I took it out. And I guess Brene told her, you know, Oh, you loved that side ponytail. You looked beautiful. You look confident. And so, you know, don't care what other people think about you. And then I guess five minutes later, she was talking to her husband about her Christmas lights that were still up and it was like February. And so she was like, what are the neighbors going to think if we keep the Christmas lights up? And I guess her daughter called her on it. And her daughter said like, mom, isn't this the same thing? And so talking the talk is different than walking the walk. So Truly, my parents not only were giving me financial education uh, by speaking it into existence, but also showing me. So again, like I saw my mom sit there at our desk, you know, on the, I think it's the 13th and the 21st, and she's probably going to correct me that that's wrong. But those were the two days a month where she sat down and paid all the bills and balanced the checkbook. And I saw her do that. And I saw my dad work really, really hard at his job and be really, really great and serve people first. And he has a great reputation in the Tacoma, Seattle community for being just a really decent person who also is really good at his job and saw him negotiate and saw him do all these things. So, um, I think it's really important that you're not only, guiding your children through lessons, um, you know, verbally, but also showcasing that, showing them how to do that in the way that you're living your life. That's great. What an incredible legacy. What an incredible life you're leading. I'm really honored to talk to you today, Tori. So where's the best place for people to connect with you more? 
Andy, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Um, her first hundred K is where you can find me. That's H E R F I R S T one zero zero K.com. Her first hundred K. And you can find all of my resources there, uh, all of my social media, feel free to come ask me questions. I love talking with people and, uh, yeah, I'd love to see you stop by. And tell us a little bit about tomorrow before you go as well. Yeah. So I, my nine to five is tomorrow. I lead marketing at tomorrow. We are a will trust and life insurance app. Uh, our flagship product is a free will. And we do that, uh, purposely to allow the 60% of Americans do don't have a will to get one. Um, we, we have this mission around family financial wellness and just making sure that, you know, these sorts of documents are taken care of. So it's a free legal will that you can complete in under 10 minutes. You can go to tomorrow.me to check that out. Everyone. Yeah. I had a chance to chat with Dave Hanley on the show, a great guy, great father, great person who's honestly looking to better the lives of families across America and very similar to Tori. He's doing something he's proud of and something that's truly helping people thrive. So, Tori, congratulations on your 100K mission, and thanks again for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, who doesn't want another $100,000 in their lives? I mean, come on. (laughs) Awesome, awesome, awesome inspiration, Tori. Thank you so much. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Tori Dunlap. Number one, use the gratitude sandwich when asking for a raise. This was an excellent point by Tori here. It's not all about what you want. Remember that your supervisor is holding the cards for your financial future. Treat them with respect. Share your appreciation. Then ask for what you feel you deserve. And then close with a nice piece of bread with more appreciation. Number two, track your net worth today. You won't be able to grow your net worth if you don't start tracking it, right? Tori and I are both big fans of personal capital just for this. And as you heard at the middle of the show, you can sign up and link up a qualified account and you'll get a $20 Amazon credit for free. That's their gift to join up. And you can use my link, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash personal capital, and you'll get that $20 Amazon credit. So my plug for personal capital is now over. (laughs) If you don't want to sign up for an online system, don't. Do it with a spreadsheet or a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. Just start tracking because that is going to lead to improving. And then it'll lead you to your first $100,000. Number three, put your oxygen mask on first, you entrepreneurs. (laughs) Tori mentioned the best way to be successful in your entrepreneurial ventures is by taking care of your health. I could not agree more. Get good sleep, exercise, meditate, and eat healthy food. If you're not taking care of yourself, you are not taking care of your small business. So those are my top three takeaways. Number one, use your gratitude sandwich when asking for a raise. Number two, track your net worth today. And number three, put your oxygen mask on first, you entrepreneurs. (laughs) Tori, thank you so much for sharing with us today and helping us all reach our first 100K. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, check me out on YouTube and subscribe. I'm at youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. 
And the second thing, subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast player. And then the last thing, share this episode with a friend who wants to hit their first 100K. You can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 140. That's session 140. And if you're new to the show, I would highly recommend you checking out session 116, the 10 steps to young family wealth and happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It is a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Albert Einstein. If you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal, not to people or things. Here's to crushing those big goals, my friends. Carpe diem! Carpe diem!